Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Family Renewal Podcast. And today we are going to dive into some issues that are relevant, timely, and controversial. Uh, And I have a guy with me who I think is one of the most qualified people to speak to this issue uh, on a whole bunch of levels. Um, He's a man that I deeply respect, he's a man of God. He is a man who is committed to truth, and uh, Will Addison is my guest on this program. He is co-host of the radio talk show and podcast, Airing the Addisons. Some of you have heard his show on American Family Radio, and uh, hopefully you subscribe to his podcast. Uh, I believe you hail from generally the area, or live there at least, uh, the general area of Tupelo, Mississippi. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. We uh we live in outside of Tupelo, Mississippi. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, well, welcome to the show, and uh, thank you for joining me to talk about to the issues of race and prejudice and just these issues that are dividing our uh, our country right now. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. I think it's uh, a discussion that we should have, especially in the body of Christ, um, and we should have it in a biblical way. So I'm happy to be here. Oh, thank you. Hey, why don't you take a minute and tell us about your beautiful family? Yeah, yeah. So um, me and my wife, Miki, we've been married 15 years. We have uh, five children and one on the way. Uh, we have three, yeah, three boys and uh, two girls. And it will be another boy uh, coming in September. Awesome. And uh, so that right there, you know, according to Psalm chapter 127, we're blessed. That's right. You know, um, and so we praise God for that. Um, and and uh, like you said, we host a, a, a daily radio show podcast called Airing the Addisons. And basically, we take the time to talk about relevant issues to the culture, to the church, marriage, family, uh, just the Bible. And we like to take these practical situations that are happening in our uh, world and uh, look at it from a biblical perspective. So we always use scripture. And um, this we see it as a tool to be able to help people to think more biblically about uh, day-to-day life. And so we've been blessed to be here at American Family Association for about 12 years. And uh, we've been, uh, we were directing a ministry here called Urban Family Talk. It was a network that was targeted toward the urban community. Uh, We did that for six and a half years. And uh, just uh, recently, maybe in the last year, we uh, merged the networks and now it's just one network AFR uh, talk. And so that was just a big move. And we felt like the ministry needed just to have one voice to be able to share God's truth. And so that's what we've been doing. You know, we're a homeschooling family. Uh, we homeschool our kids. Our, we call them the big three. Uh, they're the ones that's really in uh, schooling right now. We're just getting us the little ones in. And uh, so our life is pretty full, uh, but we praise God to be able to do the things that we do. Yeah, you guys are amazing. I I love your show. 
Uh, I, and I love uh, following you on Facebook and just the wisdom that you bring to discussions um, and the, the demeanor with which you conduct yourself online. Uh, you know, as we know, social media is a place where a lot of times there's, there's way more heat than light. And you always uh, have a way of, of being able to keep the conversations respectful. And that's what I hope to be able to do in this um, discussion. You know, we, we come from different backgrounds, um, even different geographies. I live in Michigan, which is Northern state, you know, you're in Tupelo, Mississippi. Uh, I think our backgrounds, our upbringing is different. Um, and the, the thing that unites us, uh, first and foremost is Christ and, Amen. and the fact that we both desire to see things from a biblical worldview. Uh, you and I have not personally corresponded or talked about these issues very much, very extensively. So I don't know entirely what your thoughts are, and you don't know entirely what my thoughts are. Uh, and right. I, I think that's exciting. But I'm just grateful that we can sit down and talk about these issues of, of race and prejudice and bigotry uh, because it's tearing our country apart. And it has been for a very long time. And we're in a new cycle right now. You know, people may listen to this podcast years down the road, but just for historical context in the moment, you know, we're just sort of phasing out of, or hopefully coming out of the COVID-19 crisis. Um, we're still in lockdown here in Michigan uh, with that. But then, you know, we had the murder of George Floyd by some white police officers in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, they have finally been... Uh, arrested and are, are waiting for a trial. Um, the results of that trial are not known at this point, but there are a lot of riots that are going on around the country. And, and really, you can reset this any given point. If somebody listens to this show two, three years from now, I mean, I hate to say this, but if you just look at history, it'll be somebody new. It'll be a new situation. It'll be a new news story. Um, you know, we could have gone back uh, five, six years ago and been doing this exact same topic with different cases, whether it was Ferguson or wherever. So these are just issues that seem like they, they cycle. Yeah. And uh, so they're perennially relevant, but I am grateful that you and I can talk about it. Cause I find that among a lot of my friends, um, there's just fear to talk about this. I, I think because we all know it's so personal and yeah. there's so much emotion behind it that people, um, People are scared to speak about it. And when they do, it's usually because it's so built up that just everything comes out. And sometimes what comes out is just not productive. And, and it's, yeah. it's just a lot of hurt and pain and yeah. anger. And uh, so, so let me ask you this question. Let's dive in because I want to define some terms before we get going. Uh, when we talk about the issue of race and we talk about different races and racism and that type of thing. Um, isn't that sort of accepting some presuppositions? Isn't that sort of accepting that different races of people exist? And what yeah. are your, what's your take on just the terminology that we have accepted and that we use commonly to even address this issue? Yeah, I, I think that if we're going to stay biblical, then we need to understand what it says in the scriptures. Um, Acts chapter 17, verse 26 is, a, is a, a well-known one that, you know, out of one man, you know, comes basically all ethnic groups. Um, and when you say race, 
there's only one race of people, human race. There are different uh, ethnicities within the human race, but there's only one, one race. And so when we talk about racism, uh, to me, that's a, a, a word that would have Darwinian type roots. Uh, I don't like to use it, but I use it because that's what people are familiar with. Yeah. When I think of the scriptures, I think of the word partiality. Mm. Partiality, uh, it digs deeper than just skin color. It can go to socioeconomic status uh, and the whole, I mean, it can go just to different yeah. levels. When you talk about racism, you're talking about, usually you're talking about just skin color. You know, um, they may say it's a, there's a system of racism, like it's in our American system. You hit at a lot of times that, you know, uh, systemic racism. But I think if we're Christians, we need to deal with partiality. And we see how partiality was dealt with in the scriptures in Galatians is an um, example where the apostle Peter was fellowshipping and having koinonia with, you know, the, the brethren there. Um, Paul and everybody else was there and had some, some other believers gathered. But when the, the men came from Jerusalem, you know, uh, he kind of dismissed himself from being with those other brethren because he was being partial. Mm-hmm. And Paul addressed that by basically rebuking Peter to his face. He said that the, that, that the partiality was so strong that even Barnabas was being carried away by that. And Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. He was the one that had taken Paul uh, when no one else believed that he was for real and brought him to the brethren. I mean, he was the one he sent to the church, I believe in Antioch, you know. So Barnabas was a strong uh, character, but he was given over to that partiality because he was affected by what Peter had done. It has implications for the gospel. And so it had to be corrected right there. So to get back to what you're saying, like when you talk about race, I, I think that's that word. Um, like I said, I use it because that's what people are familiar with. But when we're talking in terms of the body of Christ, we have to think more in terms of uh, partiality, you know, because there's different levels. And with racism, quote unquote, there's this thought that only white people can be racist, that black people cannot be racist because black people don't hold the power in which to, um, you know, to really be racist, to do anything about it. And that's not true. And because if we're human, if you're human, you, you have a propensity to be sinful. You can, no matter what uh, skin color you are, you, you're prone to sin. And so racism, quote unquote, is sin. And so it, it's not a black thing. It's not a white thing. It's, a, uh, uh, it's the heart of man that's wicked. If we want to get down to the root of it, it's the heart of man that's wicked. And out of the heart of man comes all this type of um, all these actions. You mentioned how racism and the concept of different races comes out of an evolutionary worldview. I wonder from an evolutionary worldview why anyone would be opposed to white supremacy if you believe that evolution is true and that people of darker skin color are less evolved humans. And yeah. that, the, that we're in the struggle for the survival of the fittest and that over time we become a better species 
which was really what Hitler's view was, why would everyone not embrace this That's view that there are people who are less because they're not as evolved, they're not as developed uh, evolu- in terms of evolutionary worldview? Um, yeah. I don't feel that you could ever really get the answers to this issue of racial tension, you know, just borrowing their terms and their worldview um, from a non-biblical standpoint. Mm. I mean, you know, I know a lot of people that are atheists and agnostics that are opposed to discrimination and they're opposed to racism. And I'm thankful for that. I'm glad for that. I just wonder intellectually how. Yeah, I don't think they made that connection. I think, you know, but I think that's that's accurate. I mean, if you believe in evolution and all you know those tenets, then why don't you believe that there's a superior race, you know, of people? Uh, I I just don't. I think that's the flaw in their thinking. Like they don't they don't think those type of things through, you know. But that's totally right. So we as Christians then have a great opportunity in terms of this whole discussion to uh, bring it back to the gospel, right? And what Galatians yeah. tells us, uh, I think it's Galatians 2 or 3, where it talks about how, you know, there's no longer slave nor free, nor male nor female, nor Greek yes. or Jew, nor there's, there's not this distinction in terms of value. That's basically what's being said. It's not to say there's not distinction, because obviously we believe in male and female. But what he's saying right. is in terms of value, of human worth, we don't find our worth in our identity. Uh, physically right. speaking, we find our right. worth and our identity uh, as as people made in the image of God and uh, and loved by Him, and and of course in Christ we find that. So so in terms of uh, of discussion, I love the term you use there, uh, partiality. And I will say, even though we've discussed this issue of racism, I'm sure that Will and I both will use the term race and racism. Uh, during this conversation, simply right, because right. they're handles that everybody understands, and so. Um, but, but I think it's important for us to at least be clear in our mind about the, the implications uh, of what we're saying when we use the term races, um, not a biblical concept at all or biblical construct. It really comes out of a Darwinian evolutionary worldview that's completely opposed to Christianity and, and I think right. perpetuates a lot of the animosity that people have between themselves. So, yeah. so, so in terms yeah. of, 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 you know, terms that people can use to um, describe each other. Um, you know, I have no problem with, and I don't think anybody else has any problem with saying I'm a white person. That doesn't mm-hmm. bother me. Um, mm-hmm. I think the politically correct term for uh, those of, of darker color, African-American, even though many times that's not a very clear or accurate designation. Uh, you know, I have friends of dark color who are Jamaican and <laughs> you call them African-American. And they're like, I'm Jamaican, like I'm right, not American, right. man. I'm, you know, right. so I, I think uh, I think that's, a, a, you know, even people that I, friends that I have who are black skinned or dark skinned from Africa who come here and people call them an Afro-American, even though they're African citizens and they don't live here and they're not they're not american they still get called african-american um so what do you think of the whole you know hyphenated name i know i've heard Bodie balkum say that he doesn't appreciate being called african-american he thinks of himself as an american of course he's living in africa now so i don't know if he's maybe he's uh, considers himself a uh an american african now i don't know how he's yeah. how he views that but what, are, what yeah. are your thoughts on that designation is is that uh 
Is that the, the best term for us as white folks to use? And we're talking about someone of darker color because that makes them feel the most comfortable. I mean, can you give me some feedback on what you think of that? Well, you know, I think, you know, you, we do consider, especially we're trying to really build a relationship or talk to someone in, in they, if that if they, if they prefer to be called that, I mean, I'm cool with that. For me personally, mm-hmm. um, I would always say you know, I'm just I'm a, I'm a black guy, you know. Um, but you know, I will say even beyond that, you know, just looking at some things, um, answers in Genesis, and really with our family, you know, basically we all are colored. I mean, we just different shades yeah. of brown. That's right. You know, uh, you might have more melanated people. But man, when it get down to it, we all we all have. There's no one that's like white or black. <laughs> but um, you know that that hyphenated uh, term it 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 highlights something that I think is a a glaring point in in I would say in the black community. I remember uh, my my mom and my dad showing me their birth certificates. On one of their birth certificates, it said color. On a on another one, I think it was my mom. It said Negro. My birth certificate said black. And I think my sister, who is uh, eight years younger than me, it may say African-American. To me, that highlights identity problem that we we've had. And when sometimes when we see the different moves to be pro black, pro this, pro that, pro that, it's it's an identity uh, problem that I feel like we have in the black community. You know, we're trying to figure out exactly who we are. You know, this that African-American, the black community, the way that we grew in this country, we were basically kind of like not, it was like a new people group that came out of the African slaves, you know, because it's, there's no pure African person in America that was born, you know. We, like in my family, that's white, that's African, that's all Indian, Native American, whatever, you know, so it's like, uh, I think it's almost created a whole new people group and it's confusing sometimes, I think, in, in, in black people's mind, like, well, what are our roots? Where do we come from? Like, you know, and so we latch on to this and latch on to that. I see some black people now, you know, they, we're the real Hebrews, you know, <laughs> we are the, the, the lost tribe and all this, or we're Africans or whatever. That's to me. This is the reason, this is one of the reasons why I cling to, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of the way. Because not it's not that my culture does not matter, but when you line it up against what Christ has done, I say like the Apostle Paul, I count it as loss. See, Paul, he even knew his pedigree. He knew his cause. He knew exactly where he came from, and he had reason to boast in it because you know, I was re- I've been reading in Galatians lately, and I was just kind of sitting there thinking about how he was really saying, look, if you're so focused on being circumcised, man, you're missing the point. And I'm thinking about who is saying this. This is the Apostle Paul. That was a badge of, this is our ethnic group. This We are Israelites. For him to now be saying that, man, circumcision, basically, it's, it's, it's circumcision of the heart that matters. That was a, that's a big change in, in his life that he came in contact with Christ. And so all that other stuff that he really held up in high esteem, it became, you know, meaningless. And so 
as as a Christian, I I cling to being in Christ, that my identity is in Christ. You know, because if I'm trying to find my identity in, you know, this or that, being black or whatever, that's a huge downgrade, in my opinion, to being uh, called out of darkness into his marvelous light and mm-hmm. finding identity in Christ. So, you mm-hmm. know, we you, you mentioned about, you know, um, what terms should we use and all of that. You know, I, I don't know. But for me and for you, I'm a brother. That's right. You know, I'm a brother. It doesn't mean that you don't see black. God has made us to see colors. That would be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But I'm a brother. You know, you're my brother. You, We are literally bonded together by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I think that should be our highest distinction. So when you look back at the civil rights movement, the struggle that happened in the 60s and all the way through today, you think about the call from MLK back in the day for integration and equality, his famous speech that he had a dream that someday we would be judged by not the color of our skin, but the content of our character. Uh, That's been a a dominant worldview, I think, within the civil rights movement. There's been another view that's a bit more militant, the the Malcolm X variety, and, and who have gone farther than Malcolm X in terms of of not integration and equality, but separation and superiority uh, within the black community. But but I think that um, while that's always been a strong element within the civil rights movement, um, the separation and and superiority message has been there consistently. It's still there. Uh, You still have Louis Farrakhan. You still have, you know, Nation of Islam. You still have a lot of voices that represent that perspective. Um, but I, I think the dominant view within um, the civil rights movement has been this one of integration and equality. Uh, do, you, do you feel like that dream has been achieved in America? I'm saying this a little tongue in cheek, but, uh, but, but, but let's, you know, maybe step beyond that and say, you know, if it hasn't been achieved in some perfect utopian sense, have we made progress? Or do you feel like like, like I think a lot of uh, what I see on social media, at least a lot of people feel like we haven't moved the needle at all in that direction. Yeah. And I think that's ridiculous to say that. I mean, um, look that when, when you, you can just take a look at sports, <laughs> you can take a look at the athletes. Now the, the athletes, a lot of them, I'll just say like LeBron James, he can be as the, as woke as possible. But if you look at his life, he has beat the odds. Uh, I think that we definitely have way more um, opportunity today than my forefathers had. I mean, that's just facts. I and mean, that's not e- that's not even hard to like agree with. I think some people they they cling to that narrative that we haven't gone that far because they just need something to like um, rally about. Mm-hmm. It's almost like. I always ask myself, why does the NAACP still exist? You know, certain groups, because they were needed for a time. But I think a lot of times now it's just they're like showpieces. Like we're here, we're still here, we're doing this and we're doing that. And I don't really see the effects on the black community. And so I would say like we've gone far by, by the fact that we had a black president. I mean, come on. Whether you agree with him or not, it happened. 
you know, if you look into in, in the Senate and, and, and Congress in different positions, man, we have black people there in all different positions. So I think to say that we haven't really gone too far from the 60s and all that is just, it, it doesn't even make sense. I don't even pay attention to those type of things. Because even right right out of like slavery, you know, I, I've been reading uh, books by Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass. Man, they were doing things and they were not sitting down as victims. I mean, look, Booker T. Washington started a university, a college, fresh out of slavery. I mean, he was, you know, and so the excuses that we give, it, it, it almost can be discouraging. It's like, man, come on, man. Like when we look at history, we see that we've come a long way, even from the 60s, like a long way. And so when people say that, I, I think they're not being genuine. I just heard an interview today with Condoleezza Rice kind of speaking to that issue. And she just said to say that we haven't made any progress since the 1960s, you know, from her perspective, yeah. she felt yeah. that that was just really invalid. Um, right. Now, did you, Will, did you grow up in the South? Where did you grow up? I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. Yeah. That's legit. Yeah. That's, that's deep South. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's about as South as you can get. Yeah. It's about as South as you, far <laughs> South as you can go. Yeah. So did you grow up in a Christian home? Yes. So you grew up in the, the church? That made all the difference too. Yeah. My, my dad was a Christian man. My mom was Christian. I grew up in church. You know, a lot of times I didn't want to go, but we, that was our home. You know, that was the rules. <clears throat> and God saved me. I mean, I wasn't, I was going to church and not a, not a Christian, but you know, the Lord through his uh, sovereignty, he saved me. And, um, but yeah, I had Christian parents. Uh, my mom's still living today. My, my dad has passed away. My dad was a, a strong influence in my life personally. He was an ordained minister, but he never ministered in the churches. His, his ministry was always on the street and in prisons. Hmm. And, he, and he told me one time, he said, this, you know, we were outside. He said, this is my pulpit, you know? And a matter of fact, the first time I had a chance to speak or preach, it was an invitation that my dad gave me to come and speak in the prisons. So uh, that's, he was, he was a real, he had a heart, heart for souls. My dad, my mom, she's more like an intercessory. She's prayer. She, she prayed all the time. And so I, I was surrounded by a uh, family that believed strongly in God. And uh, that made a difference in my life personally, you know? So, yeah. So I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I was thinking to ask this question later, but I think it's relevant now. So you grew up with mom and dad. They were married, stayed married. You had an intact household. So how much do you think that gets blamed on society in an institutional way, you know, blaming the system, if you will, um, can actually trace back to broken family dynamics? Yeah, I think that's huge. You know, uh, I mean, there's, there's been studies done on that. Like, if you, you know, I, I posted on Facebook recently, and it's something I always think about is if we believe that there is systemic racism or there's this system that, you know, uh, stops our advancement, is there anything that we can do to avoid the trap? And that's I was question. Submit, that's a real good question. 
because because the way that they they um say that the system operates is almost like you can't avoid it. Right. It's like this, you know. And so I would submit that one of the first things is, of course, submitting our lives to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, but also having stable families in which children are growing up in. Because when you have that, you have you have more discipline. You know, uh, there's a solid you know foundation there. Um, you have both authority figures, mom and dad. And so if we want to avoid our kids being caught in this trap of systemic racism. How about we build strong families? You know, how about they see parents that love each other, you know, and that are dedicated to each other? What, that, what, what that's going to do nine times out of 10, they're going to want that same thing, the children. A lot of the choices that we make, we fall into the trap. Premarital sex, you know, drugs. There's no one, there's no system that will make you put a crack pipe to your mouth. Like they don't, but there are ways to avoid those things, you know, instilling into our children the Ten Commandments. You know, one one of those commandments being thou shalt not kill. Well, if we put that in their hearts at an early age. Man, I believe that the word of God is living and active. And I believe that, you know, it it does something to the heart of man. I think there are ways that we can avoid this system. If we really believe that there's a system, you know, um, there are ways that we can avoid. And I think a family structure is high on that list. You know, my experience is kind of interesting because you hear a lot about the term white privilege. and mm-hmm. I grew up in a home where my parents divorced when I was six. Uh, my mom married a guy who was very abusive. And so for the next nine years of my life from six to 15, I lived with uh, an abusive stepfather, um, learned everything not to be like as a man. Uh, basically, you know, had very little involvement from my dad. Um, you know, I'd see my dad like one weekend a month until I was 15. And then as adult, you know, after 15, my dad was essentially just not in my life because of circumstances. And, you know, the only influence I had from my stepfather was all negative, no positive. Um, He, he wouldn't work. He was a guy who knew how to work the system. And so when he was in our lives, um, we lived on welfare. Uh, We ate government food. Yeah. All the the white labels, you know, that's what I grew up with living on hand-me-downs and food pantry, you know, worm infested foods and, you know, clothes that nobody wanted to wear. And so, you know, it's interesting for me, people would look at my life today as an author and conference speaker and they would say, well, you're Mm -hmm. where you are because of white privilege. Mm. Once, once my stepfather left when I was 15, you know, I have a single parent mom raising six kids trying to school us. Yeah. She dropped out of high school in ninth grade, but my mom became a Christian when I was 12 and that was a real game changer for our family. And she started a publishing company, a business that she could do from home and still homeschool her kids. And, um, you know, I, I started working full time 
40 hours a week plus um, the week I turned 16 because I needed to help provide for my mom and my five sisters. Mm. Um, you know, I came up the hard way and I didn't have any colleges offering me, you know, free, free tuition because I was white. (laughs) And so, so for me, I was just, you know, I'll jump in with, with my perspective here, give you a chance to respond to it. I understand to an extent why people in the black community say that people like me have white privilege. There, there is some truth to that from my perspective. I'll just give you my, from my perspective. I think there's some truth to that. Um, part of the truth to that is that, you know, if I'm driving down the road and I get pulled over by a policeman, I don't fear that I'm going to get drug searched. Um, I don't fear that I'm, I'm being targeted in some way. If my uh, teenage boys are walking down the sidewalk in town, I don't fear anybody's going to call the cops on them for looking suspicious. That happens to people uh, of darker skin in our country. I know people that that happens to, um, Mm -hmm. and that's their experience. So I get that. And in that sense, I think that systemically um, there are certain things that I don't worry about, uh, you know, now in my stage of life that, um, you know, that I would if I were a young man coming up in, in a, a black neighborhood or a ghetto. Uh, but, but I, so, so in one sense, there's a part of me that resents that, oh, well, you're where you are because of white privilege. And I feel like, you know, I know people who, like, I'd look at you and say, man, you had two parents that loved each other went to church, loved Jesus, raised you right. You know, man, you have more white privilege than I did. <laughs> but, but I do recognize that there, there are issues that people uh, of darker skin complexion have to deal with that I don't. Some of that is socioeconomic. I mean, I think if I dressed a certain way and drove a certain kind of car, I might get targeted for drug searches, you know, yeah. so some of it can be c- contributed to culture. But there are still, in my view, there are still pockets, and I don't know what you think this, you can speak to this too, but I think geography-wise, there's places where I've been down south, there's a different attitude, my view, a different attitude down south than what I experience up here in many parts of the north. Um, yeah. It seems to me that there's just more bigotry, more prejudice, more, uh, you know, more racial hatred that happens in, in the south than happens up here. So, so give me two, two things. First of all, geography. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think there's a difference just in terms of North and South or, or certain cities, you know, that are, are just maybe a little more raw than other cities? Yeah. Uh, do you feel like geography plays into this issue? Uh, and then just uh, if you could address the issue of white privilege and your thoughts on that, is that, is that a real thing in your mind? And, and if so, to what extent? Yeah. As far as the geography uh, question, um, I think there are different elements of uh, what it would be more partiality or more racism in one city or state than others. I think it has to do with the history of the mm-hmm. South. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that stuff is, is deeply rooted, but it, I'll tell you one thing, it's not as bad as it was. Yeah. Now, some of it, I think it still exists. There's, there are still pockets of it. I think it's more passive in nature. You don't overtly see it all the time, but you can feel it, you know, um, in certain situations. Um, so I think that's that's true, you know. But once again, I will point back to why is that? It's the heart, the uh, sinful heart of, heart of man. 
you know, the way to remedy any of that stuff is going to be through Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, there's no other way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you said, you guys, you guys, uh, your whole life changed when your mom accepted Christ, you know, and things begin to, that's the game changer. And I don't care what the sin is or what the background or, you know, so, but I, I think you're right. Uh, ge- geography, there's certain areas like in New Orleans. I didn't really feel racism, but in Mississippi, I felt it more. Um, you know, like, and again, it was a more passive thing. It was comments like, and you know, I don't really hang around black people, but you, man, I, I think I can, I can hang around stuff like that. Mm. I'm like, wait, what? Mm. You know, uh, we've had we've had questions, tough tough conversations about our Mississippi um, state flag, which has the Confederate battle flag inside of it. Yeah. Um, and you know, and again, my lens is always through relationship as far as being Christians. Right, right. And so, my thought is, if you're coming to my house. And I have a Black Panther flag flying, and I know that it it may be offensive to you, as my brother in Christ. I, I need to go put that Panther flag away because what's more important to me is my relationship with you as a brother than my freedom in having my flag that I can wave, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whenever I want. I can mm-hmm. put it in the back room. I can, you know, but you're my brother, so I want to do whatever it takes to make sure I'm not offending you. Yeah. You know, that, that, that conversation gets touchy because, you know, it's like, yeah. well, it's my history and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Well, you got to understand that your history may not be the same as another person's history. And that's, you know, with the, with the same events, we have different histories. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so I think some of that kind of stuff is at play geographically. Um, but again, it's not like it used to be. Now, as far as privilege is concerned, um, I think you're right. I think, again, I, I look at athletes, the black athletes, I think they have privilege. <laughs> I think their children will grow up in a way that they will never want for anything, you know. You think Steph Curry had privilege? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And Seth Curry? And, I think they have privilege. You know, and 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 the, and the thing is, because so when we talk about that, it's usually a way to make people feel guilty for what they have, and I, I feel like at the root of it is greed and being covetous. Mm. You know, and for me to say, you know, well, you have privilege. That's why you're where you are. I feel like if you if you work hard, if you do what you need to do, God is the game changer. He can open up doors that no man can open. He can navigate your life and you can get to places where you never thought you can get to, you know? And cause the privilege to me is being in Christ. That's why I always say Christ privilege. Mm. I, I think as a Christian, I have Christ privilege, which is higher than any other privilege that exists to me, right. you know? Um, and what you said about, there being certain um, systemic things, um, I'll have to tell you, personally, uh, I haven't experienced 
a lot of those things that I hear a lot of my uh, black brothers and sisters saying, but I'm not saying that it's not true. Right. I'm not saying that it's not true. You know, I had a couple times where I felt like a police officer was being uh, more aggressive, but he wasn't like hitting on me or anything. It was just, he was just being a jerk at the time. Yeah. You know, Um, and I think, you know, those type of things happen. Um, But where there is injustice, I think the church, we need to stand against that. Like what we saw with George Floyd, man, that was terrible. There's no excuse for that. And there shouldn't be any. That, the the punishment that they are getting, they should get. That's right. And whoever else, you know, but I'm not going to say that all police officers are bad now and let's defund the police. That's not even a rational way of thinking. Mm -hmm. I have police officers who are friends. And I asked them, I said, straight up, man, tell me. I said, you know who you work with? Are there people on at the force that just don't like black people? You know, I'm hearing like that we're being hunted. <laughs> I'm hearing that they're just going out wanting to kill black people. Like, do you work with people like that? Have you ever heard anything like that? One, one's a black officer, one's a white officer. Both of them resounding no. Like, that stuff is not going on. And I believe him. My mom spent 30 years. She was a uh, 911 dispatch operator in New Orleans. She said she can count five times, on, on, like count on one hand, the times that a, a, a black man was killed by a white officer. 30 years. And then there's reports of numbers that break down a lot of this stuff that to show that the bulk of the killing is being done black on black. But it's one of those things, not where numbers don't matter, feelings matter. Mm. you know and that's very dangerous that's the same thing they're doing with the homosexual issue it was once seen as a mental disorder scientifically there were papers and things written about this but now no 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 it's it's feelings feelings based i feel this way and you can't tell me that's a dangerous place to operate in so what you what you're seeing i know i'm going off no go for it man with the um but the defunding of police that that's only going to hurt the inner cities. And I don't know if they're taking time to really think through that, but it's going, it's going to hurt the inner cities because if you go in the inner city, which I grew up in the inner city, man, they want the police to come when they call <laughs> the, the people on the ground they they don't want this. Now you have some people who are elites that are calling for this kind of stuff because they have an agenda. Yeah. Yeah. But the the normal person, the resident, no. They want police to come when Pookie and Ray Ray are breaking down their doors. (laughs) You know, they don't want to have to rely on some community, whatever they're going to try to come up with, to come deal with this. So it's really, it makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my view is there definitely are things that we could do that would... Uh, help in terms of a systemic solution or let me say institutional solution. Uh, One of the things is, you know, like even with the George Floyd case, why were those officers not instantly taken into custody? You know, this whole idea of we put them on a sabbatical or, you know, they've been, they've been, you know, placed on leave, you know, leave, kill somebody you put on leave. Um, You know, there's things like that that we can easily solve in an institutional level. 
and we should, and I think we need to work for justice in those things. Um, there are a lot of ways that the system can, can be improved and reformed, and I'm all for that. I guess going back to the issue of white privilege, one thing that concerns me for the black community when I hear them using that card, and again, I, I don't want to deny that, uh, that black people are, are profiled. I think it happens. In fact, I mean, I would have to deny testimony of people that I trust and I yeah. have to deny their stories to say that it doesn't happen. I mean, right. I, I used an illustration recently in an article I wrote of a friend of mine in Grand Rapids who found a dog in his neighborhood, just went door to door knocking on the door saying, hey, did, did you lose a dog? Do you know whose dog this is? You know, it had like three or four people call the cops and said, there's some strange guy at our door. He's making us uncomfortable. Well, that would have not happened to me. I'm, I'm positive of that. If I was in this white neighborhood in Grand Rapids knocking on the door, nobody's calling the cops on me. I can promise you that. You know, he's a young black man. And so he gets the cops called and they show up. And of course, you know, they didn't get arrested or anything, but, but they're coming with suspicion. Now, that's his experience because I think because of his skin color. So I get that. And I'm not denying that in any way. So when, when you say there's white privilege, I, I think that's one example where I feel like I, I do have some privilege in that area that, that my friend who's a young black man in Grand Rapids doesn't have. So I get that. But, but what, how I see it expressed a lot is, is it with a victim mentality. And because of the way that I came up, that bothers me. It just does because well, life is not going to hand you anything. Now, right. God's grace will. <laughs> Thank yeah. God for that. But life doesn't. You have right. to work. You have to apply yourself. And you sometimes are going to be treated unjustly. It happens. That's life. Yeah. You may be bullied. You may be you know, systematically discriminated against. And you have to find an open door. You have yeah. to find a way to beat that system and succeed. And yeah. so it bothers me. It concerns me that I see this defeatist mentality and a blame shifting where we're going to put responsibility on somebody else. You know, I could, I could put blame on my stepfather and say, well, I'm a crack addict today because he raised me right. in poverty, raised me in abuse, you know, I right. got, you know, this kind of welfare and all that. I just feel like we need personal responsibility as individuals. Yes. I'm responsible yes. before God for what I do. Right. And I'm not denying that people are victims. Yeah. There are real victims. People who are raped, they're a victim. Right. People who are who are held at gunpoint and are robbed, they're a victim. I get it. There are real victims. But the victimhood, the victim mentality bothers me. And because I care. Right. I don't want to see people just get stuck. So that's a little rant there, but I understand exactly what you're saying. Now, and I will go back, you know, my only pushback would be on the whole white privilege, because like I said before, there's black people with privilege. That's not a, you know, that's, that's not a, um, that's not a, a, um, a white thing. Like it's not, I, I feel like it's used to bring, guilt upon a certain people for what they have. And I think that should be outright rejected by all people. That's just my thing. Because I, I feel like if you look at, there are black people in America with privilege. Yeah. And who doesn't get profiled? I, man, Muslims get profiled in America. It's not only just black people. Latinos. Latinos. 
And if look, growing up, if if a white person came to my neighborhood, we would profile them. My neighborhood was all black. So I, it's the sinful heart of man. Like I think this, but we try to make these, and and you hit it right on the head. Like it's a victim mentality. It's we need something to be able to cry about instead of saying, "Man, what can what can I do myself personally to make to ensure that I have success?" You know, instead of looking towards this person held me down, this man didn't do me right. We live in a country where we had former slaves that made it out. You know, I, I just I just can't buy it. I can't buy it. And another thing that really really disappoints me about um, I, I would call the black struggle in America is the black struggle was a legitimate struggle. It, it you know it, like the civil rights movement, all of that is legit. But there have been many agendas that has hopped on the back of the black struggle to get their agendas passed. Homosexuality, you know, like we see right now, you know, there's a lot of agendas attached to Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all. They're they're riding on the backs of blacks. And I think the quote unquote black leadership, whoever they are, we should have stood up. I would say the church should have stood up and said, no, you can't hitch that on to the real struggle you know, for civil rights, because you want to choose who you want to sleep with. You know, those things, it, it, it has almost been hijacked by all these different uh, agendas. And I think that has been something that has happened over and over and over again. I, I, you can see the thread where, man, they just hop on the back of, hey, yeah, we we we're homosexuals, but you you guys know the struggle. You were black in America. You know how you were treated. So, man, y'all should be. No, that's totally different issues, you know. And so, back to your rant, I would just say, as far as um, the victim mentality, man, we have to break that. I think that's that cripples a people. That does not empower, you know. And the way that you break that is that you know that you you submit yourself to Christ. And no matter what color you are, you can find a successful life through living out God's principles. You know, there's no victims in in Christ. We're overcomers. So no matter what skin I'm in, if I'm in Christ, I'm an overcomer. And so that's nothing that I can't do, you know, that the Lord is leading me in, in doing. And so I think that those are excuses that we need to not um put up with any any longer because they're not helpful i think also the um white privilege term has been used again my perspective has been used to weaponize as a weapon to weaponized to shame white people like me from discussing publicly issues of race or of yes. ethnicity because they say you're not allowed in the conversation. Right. Right. And so, you know, I, I feel like that's something that I'm just noticing more and more. Uh, notice a celebrity did something out today and said, you know, I'm heartbroken over you just the, the tension that's happening in the country. But because of my white privilege, I don't feel qualified to speak to the issue. Yeah. Says who? Well, I mean, it's it's kind of, in my view, it's kind of a bully tactic 
to it say is. only one side gets to speak to this issue. And, and right. let me let me drive it a little further. I'm seeing this happen um, even in the black community towards other blacks who don't share the the predominant narrative. You know, we had yeah. Joe Biden doing that interview recently, and Biden says, "If you can't decide between me and Trump, you ain't black." Right. Well, what's he trying to say? That there's one monolithic black perspective and that you can't have a black person that has a different political view or holds to a different political party or that has their own opinion about something that, you know, you can't have a, a Kanye West who decides that he wants to break lockstep with the rest of the people in his industry. It seems like there's there's this bully tactic uh, yeah. with whites, you say, well, you know, you have white privilege, so you're un- ineligible to speak. If you're a black person who doesn't share the predominant narrative, then you're a turncoat. You're not a real black. You're, uh, you know, you don't speak for us. Right. Uh, you, yeah. Do you experience this yourself? Because you're very yeah. vocal about your yeah. view. And I see you get a ton of pushback on social media where it's sort of like, you're not allowed to have a perspective. Yeah, I mean, and I resist it uh, and I keep talking because the thing is, that's ridiculous. We're not a monolith. I mean, the thing is, um, first of all, I want to always try to stay as biblical as I can in my thinking. So if I feel like I'm right, according to, you know, God's standard, I don't care what you say that, you know, you can't speak for us and it's, you know, I'm, I don't even worry about that because I get called names. Just last week, I was called blackish. I was called um, blackish. Yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> I, I was told that I forgot that I was black, and I was also called um, sambo. Wow. Sambo. Wow. Last week, because of things that I was speaking out against, and I'm like, man, that's the best y'all have, you know. And you know, I, I just I, I feel like. You're right in that the whole use of the term white privilege is a way to silence, you know, white people from speaking out the truth. Mm. And I think that should be resisted Mm. by white people and say, no, you know, you can't silence me. I have I can. This is America. I can have an opinion. I can state what I desire to to state. You know, there's this whole thing, intersectionality, Mm -hmm. you know, where. You know, I would have more intersectionality points than you because I'm a black man in America. You, a white man, pretty much has no intersection intersectionality points. <laughs> you know, but then if there's a homosexual black man, he has more than me, and so I need to shut up and listen to him. You know, if you were a black like, lesbian, they would really want to listen to you. Exactly. You know, so they would say, "Yeah, well, this interview right here, Israel Wayne shouldn't say anything. It should just be all Will Addison because." He needs to be quiet and listen, you know, but the thing is, I don't carry that perspective. So they wouldn't want to hear from me either. Mm. And, and, and so you're right. You know, like the Joe Biden comment, look, that happens over and over and over again. That's there's, there's um, pandering. And then there's comments like that. You know, I remember Michelle Obama. She made a comment about just go to the when you go to the polls, just vote D. They have your best interests in mind. Stuff like that. Like we can't think yeah. to me. That should be an insult. Yeah. To every black person that would see that, you know, just recently they they're taking a knee with their kente cloths on, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, taking you know, and I'm like, 
I thought that was like appropriation of, of a culture. I thought y'all rejected that. Like, why is that celebrated, you know, when they do it, you know? And so it's just mm-hmm. a lot of hypocrisy, man. Mm-hmm. And I think as a Christian today, in these days, we have to be bold. You know, Paul was bold in his day when he was speaking the truth. And, you know, the, the, the ones that really were after him was the Jews. <laughs> they were, they had set up an ambushment for him at one point where it was like 40 men ready to kill him because of the truth that he was telling, that, that he was saying, you know. And I think in these days, you know, you got to be willing to have a, 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 a thick skin and just say what's true. And whatever happens, it, it happens. But, you know, know that you're, you're, you're speaking the truth. And it, the, the idea of the day, because my heart breaks over this stuff, man. I'm not like just trying to be an agitator and like, you know, yeah, want to, yeah. you know, it, it's more like, man, I want people to get it. Like, can you know, can we see what's going on? The manipulation mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Like, can we see it, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, more than that, man, how about opening up your heart to, to Christ? Like, and yeah, it's, it's, it's aggravating, but it's also heartbreaking, you know, the way that the manipulation is being received, you know, I feel like by the black community. Yeah. You know, I've been heartened and disheartened as I've seen the response of my white friends to this issue. Uh, with, you know, George Floyd. And again, you know, it'll be a different scenario that'll play out, you know, next time. But um, I've been heartened by the fact that I haven't seen anyone, I haven't seen one person in America say that what happened to George Floyd was okay. Me neither. Man, I'm thankful for that. And I, I feel like, you know, for the first time really ever in my memory, there's some solidarity there that we as Americans are going to say that's not okay. And I'm grateful for that. I also see a lot of my white friends who uh, are wanting to show in some way that they are standing with the black community because we know this is a hurtful time. Uh, it's a, it's yeah. just a hurtful situation. It hurts all of us as Americans, but particularly I think for the black community, it's felt right. more deeply, uh, which is understandable. And uh, so one of the ways that a lot of my Christian evangelical white friends are trying to show solidarity is with the hashtag black lives matter. And I've mm-hmm. noticed you don't use that hashtag and I don't use that hashtag. Um, I was at their website today, the official black lives matter website. And yeah. there was way more about queer and gay identity uh, and transgender and and D, I forget the words that they use, but basically trying to overthrow the Western culture stereotype of, of the traditional family. Yep. Uh, there's way more about that on their website in the what we believe section than there is anything about black lives. Right. And so my view, and I've been warning my social media followers about this is, you know, hey, whether you you know, you may want to see racism end, you may want to see the environment protected. Uh, you know, you may want to see, uh, you know, some of these causes that that in themselves have merit and are great causes, but oftentimes, uh, or, or, you know, it's all to be safe and healthy as a nation and not be destroyed by a pandemic. Yeah. You, you may support those things, which in themselves are good things to support and encourage. But you mentioned this earlier, Will, those movements, I mean, COVID-19, um, environmentalism, the official 
Black Lives Matter website, which kind of gets the the bulk of the benefit of the hashtag use. Th- those movements are co-opted by yeah. neo-Marxist, cultural Marxist, right. uh, radical LGBTQ organizations. Um, you know the 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 socialist movement not not all of them but but those organizations those movements have co-opted some of these things that are good in themselves so i've just been trying to tell my friends look just be wise and be discerning that you don't want to be inadvertently providing advertising and support right. for right. a movement that's co-opted i believe right. black lives matter right. i support the fact that black lives matter but i don't post hashtag black lives matter because mm-hmm. it's co-opted yeah, it's not yeah. it's not a pure movement. It's it's got some organization with agenda behind it. So can you speak right. to that a little bit too? Just yeah, definitely. I I agree with you, and you're right. I mean, we um, my wife and I we back in I think 2015 we did a whole series of shows about um, Black Lives Matter, stemming straight from their website and what they believe. People didn't even know. Can people go back that, and listen to the archives believe. of that? Yeah, yeah, it's man. It was 2015, so you have to like. Uh, I'm not sure exactly the date. And my wife also wrote a um, a piece about it, um, why Christians should basically reject that um, Black Lives Matter. And and like you're saying, yes, we agree that Black Lives Matter. Of course, I'm black. My life matters, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. But the, the agenda behind that certain organization. It has nothing to do with Black Lives. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. I mean, in the Black community and in all communities, we need to have stable families. You know, husband, wife, um, you know, and they want to destroy that. Um, They're talking about defunding the police. What does that have to do with Black Lives Matter? Mm -hmm. That's going to affect the Black community in a terrible way. I agree. So a lot of these things, they have these nice names you know they know how to name their stuff yeah black lives matter planned parenthood like yeah you know they, they're, they're good at branding aren't they yeah but man when you when you pull that curtain back you're like man this has nothing to do with what they're talking about and matter of fact is the demise you know of the community so mm-hmm. i'm in total agreement with you you know and there's some people say well i don't support Black Lives Matter organization, but I just put that because, you know, Black Lives Do Matter. And I agree with them. Yes, Black Lives Do Matter, but I I just want to distance myself from that, you know, phrase totally. Yeah. Because I, when I think about it, I think about the organization. Yeah, yeah. And what they're trying to do. And they have yeah. a, they picked up a lot more steam once again, because back in 2015, they had a lot of steam, you know, you had, and then it kind of died down. That's another thing. These, these things die down. Like there was a, a whole spat of like black men being killed by police. And then and all of a sudden Donald Trump, you know, won. And so we had to go to Russia and collusion and, you know, all this other stuff, impeachment and COVID-19. Like you didn't hear anything about any of that. Now all of a sudden, here we go again. It's election time again. And some people say, well, you sound like you're dealing with black helicopters, Will. No, just look at what's going on. Election time, they they pop this stuff up again, and now mm-hmm. there's rioting in the streets and all. Yeah, man, we're being manipulated and played. 
you know. I've been saying it. I appreciate you saying it. I, I think if you study history, you see the cycle. Yeah. And you can start to anticipate it. You can say, hey, we're getting up on election time. You can expect this, this, and this are going to play out. And if, if something unexpected comes up out of the blue, they'll find a way, the progressives will find yeah. a way to advance their agenda using that. Yeah. Whatever it is. They're, yeah. they're smart and they're patient and they wait yeah. their turn. They don't give up either. And they have everything in place. And mm-hmm. as soon as a, a spark lights, they're there to fan the flame, you know, and they're organized yeah. and they're structured. You know, it's, I said this the other day, uh, you know, progressives always play offense and they never get tired and they never quit and they think long-term and they don't have to win yeah. in a day. Uh, it can go on for decades, generations. Conservatives exactly right. think short-term. They look at what's right in front of their face and they always play defense. Yep. You will lose. I mean, you and I know enough about sports to know yep. you will yep. lose if all you have yep. is the defense and no offense. You're exactly right, man. You're exactly so, right. You know, I think we're, you know, we're just, we're so used to being, uh, accepting what's right in front of us with the media. And this is a real issue. I'm not denying that, right. that injustice has happened, that there, I believe there's this, there's a systemic injustice issue. In fact, um, I don't see it so much as, as racial, although I think there's, there's uh, racial prejudice that's embedded uh, into the system itself. That's my view. But I don't think the, the fundamental problem is, is racial at its core. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an institutional problem. You look at our prison system. Man, that prison system needs radical reform to just simply incarcerate people and let them rot behind bars. That's not biblical justice. Mm-hmm. You know, biblical justice has restitution. It has the ability for somebody to work and pay off their debt. You can't pay off the debt when you're rotten in a prison somewhere. There's mm-hmm. almost no rehabilitation of the person. Uh, it's not. It's not truly restorative. So there's a lot of things that I feel like systemically are broken, and I would love to see those things fixed. And I think as Christians, we have a platform to speak about those things. Probably for those of us that are white Christians, um, maybe our voice gets heard a little bit more because it's not interpreted by the higher ups as whining, you know, <laughs> or or just uh, you know playing the card or whatever. I feel like for people like me, uh, we need to speak out when there is injustice, uh, loud and long. Um, you go through the whole Testament, the prophets, man, that was a major theme of of the Old Testament prophets was speaking out against injustice. I think our whole prison system is is largely unjust. But the solution is not to dismantle it. The system is to reform it. When there's there's something that needs to be fixed, that's what we as Christians do. We're we're reformers uh, in a biblical sense. We yeah. apply biblical wisdom to it. So, you know, I, I feel like there's um, there's a lot we can learn from situations like this. We just have to be careful that we don't get so narrow-minded, so, so focused, I should say, just so focused on what's right in front of us and what the media is telling us we should believe and how we should think about this. Step back, try to keep the 30,000-foot view in yeah. mind and, um, you know, don't give away your liberty for security and just a lot of these issues. I mean, man, this whole COVID-19, we do a separate show on that, but just, I mean, we will never get back some of the liberties that have been taken from us. Mm. 19 situation we will never wow. get them back and 
Uh, that's concerning to me. And, you know, I see totalitarianism, uh, you know, certainly kneeling on somebody's neck till they die. That's totalitarianism. But mm-hmm. so is crippling our economy where we have 30 million jobs lost and, you know, now regulating what churches can do and can't do. And there's, there's just a lot, there's a lot yeah. of, uh, there's yeah. just a lot of things right now. So we as Christians need to be mindful and not just play into the trap. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, one thing I wanted to ask you on the, on the Black Lives Matter thing, uh, one of the responses that a lot of white folks make to the hashtag Black Lives Matter is they'll say hashtag All Lives Matter. And uh, that is very hurtful for a lot of people within the black community. Um, the Sacramento Kings announcer was asked by NBA player DeMarcus Cousins, what do you think about Black Lives Matter? And he hashtagged back All Lives Matter lost his job over it. And, um, you know, what are your thoughts on the, the all lives matter hashtag for one? And then secondly, you know, should somebody be fired over posting a hashtag like that? Yeah. I understand people's, um, hurt when they hear that. I understand it. I don't necessarily agree. Cause I, I guess I would agree with the statement more that yeah all lives do matter because to me within that all lives is black lives white lives asian lives so i I don't personally have a problem with that hashtag Uh, somebody being fired over it i'm i'm in total disagreement with that i think that person has a right to you know for his opinion um i mean he was asked and uh he was tweeted at or whatever happened so i don't i don't see that's not a big deal for me. Like I, I don't, I understand what people are saying when they say they don't like it because, you know, it seems like it deflect from the real problem that we're trying to focus on. Okay. I get that. But for me personally, it, it don't move me any, any way. Cause I feel like what they're saying is true as well. Cause you know, under all lives is all lives. So yeah, it's pretty cut and dry with me on that one. So another case that we had recently where someone had to, had made a statement that they, they walked back from publicly was the New Orleans Saints quarterback, Drew Brees, who made the statement that he would not support those. Um, oh, actually, I think I wrote down the actual quote. I want to represent him right. It says uh, he will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States or our country. And I think that was probably in response to um, people in the NFL uh, taking a knee during the the national anthem. Um, so he initially made that statement, said he'll never agree with anyone, anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. That was his statement. They ended up apologizing for it. Um, it yeah. seems to me like I'm seeing, again, just in the news, I saw two people two more people today who had to apologize in order to keep their job for some comment they made that didn't seem racist to me, but was interpreted as not fitting the correct narrative. So what what are your thoughts on what Drew Brees said and should he have walked that back? Is that something he needs to apologize for? What's your take on that? You know, when I first saw that, uh, I read, I listened to the actual interview, like parts of it, and he was asked a lot of different questions, and that was just one that this guy threw throughout. 
about, you know, the protest or whatever. And he and Drew Brees, Drew Brees made a statement. And because I saw the story and I was like, there was backlash because of this. So when I then I read it, and I didn't disagree with anything that he said. Uh, as a matter of fact, he he cited his grandfathers who fought. He cited uh, the civil rights uh, movement. And he said a bunch of different things. We said for him, he's not. And being a Saints fan, um, Drew Brees has said this before. Like, I've heard him say at least two other times that he's not not kneeling because he feels because of his grandfathers and this and that. I respect that. You know, now if somebody wants to kneel, that's, that's fine. You know, in protest, I'm not against that, but I don't think he should have apologized because it was, I thought it was what he felt. I mean, he said it before and he didn't get any pushback then. I think now because of everything that's going on, you know, they really hit him hard. I, and then he apologized, apologized again. Then his wife came on and apologized. He just looked very weak to me. Mm. And I will say this. I've, I pretty much lost a lot of respect for him, almost mm. all. Be- mm. And not just over this issue, but I don't know if you remember last year, we focused on the family. They had to bring your Bible to school day. And he was part of the video or whatever. And this paper down in New Orleans, you know, homosexual or whatever, got mad that he was aligning himself with focus on the family. And he made two videos then apologizing. You know, I think he went on Ellen and said something. I'm like, man, that's more egregious to me as a Christian. I'm like, man, come on. You bring your Bible to school day and you're going to walk that back because it was done by focus on the family, which somebody pointed out to you. They don't support. Well, so the Southern America. Poverty Law Center probably has them as a hate group or a terrorist group or something. Yeah. <laughs> Probably so. But so I'm Drew Brees. I'm like, man, go ahead and retire, man. It's, you know, <laughs> I'm pretty much done with him on, 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 on that. I feel like if you really believe that you didn't say anything wrong, you should have stood by what you, you know, you could have said, if you had to say anything else to clarify, I, I think it should have been some to the effect that, you know, because I'm a Christian, I do stand for, against injustice, you know, and I think what happened to, uh, uh, Mr. Floyd was terrible. He was made in the image of God. But I also believe in the great sacrifice that my grandfather's made for this country. And I will not, you know, protest the flag itself, you know. Um, yeah. That's not hard. Yeah, you know? I hear you. <laughs> I feel like there's a, a culture right now where everybody's supposed to apologize about everything. Well, no, that's yeah. not true. Conservatives are supposed to apologize. That's kind of more and, how it works. That's a little and, more and how white, it works. And white people. And white people yeah, I hear a lot of my friends say, I feel like I'm supposed to apologize for being white. That's white guilt. That's another term. Look at that one. White guilt. <laughs> white privilege. I mean, this is crazy. And mm. it's crazy that this stuff is, has made its way into the church as well. Yeah. Yeah, we have within the church, the Southern Baptist Convention embraced uh, an amendment or a resolution, sorry, a resolution supporting uh, critical race theory and intersectionality. And some of our listeners won't know what that is. Uh, there are some great uh, videos that have been done on that. I know uh, Todd Friel's done some stuff. There's a documentary. It's escaping my mind right now. I've shared it on my page before. Uh, okay. that was done um, on this issue of the Southern Baptists in particular. 
um, you know, critical race theory comes out of critical theory, which comes out of Marxism. Yeah. And, um, and so you, you take something that has its direct origin in Marxism that has been taught within higher education from a Marxist point of view um, and is now being co-opted by the church. And I, I feel like there's a sense in which, uh, you know, it, and it kind of links in a bit with black liberation theology, which some of you may remember Jeremiah Wright, who was Obama's mm-hmm. pastor, you know, right. promoting black liberation theology. Um, it, it just sounds, a lot of it sounds good. And I think for many of us as whites, we want to be inclusive of everybody, right? So we tend to promote those ideas, maybe not even understanding their roots and origin, maybe not understanding where they've come from, who started these movements, uh, what movements are co-opted with them, you know, what we're promoting as a package when we use these terms. Uh, but because we want to show support, solidarity, and alignment, right. with the black community, right. we get on the bandwagon and promote something that's, that's cultural Marxism. Right. Um, and do it, you know, feeling like we're, we're championing the cause of racial equality. Right. Um, so what, what do you feel like, you know, as a, as a church, uh, are those issues that yeah. we need to be talking about publicly, like, yes. loudly, or do we need to just kind of go, Hey, church needs to, you know, it sounds a lot like politics. Let's stay out of that. What's your thoughts? No, on no, no, no. Because that is Marxism has to destroy religion and church, like for it to really work. So if it's in the church, that's a terrible thing. And we should be sounding the alarm. We did a conference February, like February 7th in Memphis called The Gospel is Enough. Uh, my wife participated, Abraham Hamilton, um, Daryl Harrison, a, a bunch of different Those are great. You guys have some and, amazing uh, shows on AFR. <laughs> man. Love your shows, man. Man, thank you. And, and the thing is, Speaker after speaker address these topics, and I, I can send you a link if anyone wants to um, hear some of the messages. And uh, put it in the link below. Uh, this is on our YouTube channel. It's going to be on audio podcast. Uh, okay. But I, I can do it in the show notes for the audio podcast. I can also do it in the, the below in the link for YouTube. Okay. Okay. But you should listen to some of those messages. If I want to hear exactly what this stuff is and what it's trying to do to the church. Mm. No, I think there should be a, a huge alarm sounded because a lot of this stuff is coming from the seminaries, yeah. from the upper echelons, yeah. and it's making its way into the churches, but people don't really understand what's going on. It's kind of like, I'm hearing some different things. My pastor is telling me that I'm privileged and I need to like, you know, we need to do this. and But, but they don't really understand where this goes to. Mm-hmm. And so... I think it's important that we talk about what's going on in the church as it concerns intersectionality, uh, critical race theory, you know, all that stuff. And people have to be equipped of like, what does the Bible say about this? And where the, what, what are the origins of this stuff? Like you're saying, you know, it's rooted in stuff that's anti-Christ and it's, it's in our churches. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. One thing I'll mention just as a resource uh, while I'm thinking of it is, the book, um, you mentioned Answers in Genesis a bit ago, but One Blood, One Race by Ken Ham and Dr. Charles Ware. Uh, Ken Ham, uh, founder of Answers in Genesis, Dr. Charles Ware, uh, used to be president of a Christian Bible college in Indianapolis. Uh, he's, a, he's a black man, black brother. Um, one of the best books that I've read on dealing with the issue of, of a biblical view of race, and you can get that from masterbooks.com. Um, you know, as we wrap up here, 
I want to bring this back to family because our ministry is family renewal. Our podcast is family renewal. Um, people may say, what does it have to do with family? Well, I'll tell you what it has to do with family. I'm raising 10 white children in this country. And I've got to somehow learn how to teach them how to think about all this and to think correctly, to think biblically. And uh, Will and his wife are raising their children. And you said five soon to be six. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Thank God, what a blessing. Um, raise, raising your black children in America, trying to help them to learn how to think about this and respond appropriately. And one of the decisions that my wife and I have made, um, we were both homeschooled. We've decided to homeschool our children. You mentioned that you're homeschooling your children. Um, the part of the civil rights movement, a big part of it was the push for integration within the public school system. You know, uh, Brown versus Washington, I believe it was the, the seminal case that, you know, allowed, uh, uh, the, the, uh, integration of the schools and that was seen as a huge win within the black community that now kids can go to public schools and what i see happening within the black community the black christian community is increasingly parents are feeling like okay so we just got opted in to an anti-christian humanist socialist school that is school system that's academically inferior we want to be part of this because and so a lot of them are looking for private education they're looking for homeschooling they want exclusively christian education so what led your family into that decision and then have you had people who felt like you were kind of a traitor to the cause that you're like you're like stepping back from progress that was made uh in civil rights and that you're actually you know, digressing, you're, you're, you're taking us back prior to, you know, integration. What, what are your, what are your thoughts on this whole homeschooling phenomenon? Yeah, we, uh, I haven't had that sentiment, you know, that, you know, taking us back to, you know, uh, but I'll tell you this, we were pretty much against homeschooling in the, in the beginning. My mindset was that, oh no, my, our kids will go to school and they're going to be a witness and, you know, like, like why we kids out of school, you need Christian kids in school to be able to pierce the darkness and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. this is before we had children. And um in, in the work that we do, man, we see so much. because uh, we do a lot of research, you know, you know, the stories that we cover and stuff like that. But when we did have our, our kids, start having kids, um, we had our two girls and they were in, we actually moved to a different school. The reason why we live why we live where we live now because the school district was supposed to, supposed to be better, and so we moved out there with that in mind. And we had our daughters in school, and um, they had Christian teachers. They mm-hmm. had it was public school, but those Christian teachers were great uh, individuals. They still had to teach the stuff that was coming through the pipelines. Yeah, so. Miki found herself like even after our daughters got home having to like reteach certain things because mm-hmm. it was more about how quickly can you read this not if you understand it but it was you know how quickly you got to do this in two minutes and all that kind of stuff and the math was crazy but I will say that wasn't the predominant reason why we homeschooled though we saw a change in our daughters uh, just from peer-to-peer influence mm-hmm. 
It was stuff that they weren't getting from us at home. But there were certain things, and they were just in like kindergarten, first grade, you know, and things were, you know, being said. And um, we saw it if it was possible, because at one time it wasn't possible. Miki and I had to be in the office and, you know, but man, praise the Lord. He worked it out at our jobs where um, Miki was able to do the work that she's doing from home. And we saw it as an opportunity to homeschool our children, to disciple them. That's the primary focus while we um, homeschool our kids, it, we, that we can have that life on life, you know, time to disciple them, not give them over eight hours a day to a system that want to disciple out of them everything that we're trying to put in them. You know, we, we want to indoctrinate our kids. Amen. So uh, in order to do that, homeschooling was the best option. Now, we ran across homeschoolers that were that we felt like were not good representations at time. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that kind of repelled us from mm-hmm. homeschooling. It was almost a feeling of if you don't homeschool, then you're sending your child to hell and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of resisted that, you know. And I think if it was presented to us in a way in the beginning that, hey, man, discipleship, and we probably would have tried to do it quicker. Like, even we probably would have tried to avoid school altogether. But um, that was the Lord's path for us. And so, like I said, it was it's mainly for the discipleship of our children that we homeschool. Um, and to also, you know, we, we also try to culture-proof them. Like, yes, we ought to live in the world and be not of the world. But at those formative ages like that, man, they're not ready yet. And you don't send out, you know, a soldier or whatever, ill-equipped, you know. Go back to Psalm 127. The Bible calls them arrows in our quiver. You know, blesses the man whose quiver is full. But it also gives us a picture of a skilled archer. We should be able to shoot them out at the right time, you know, the right trajectory, um, going in the in the right place. And that's how we see our children. We have a chance to nurture them, to see their giftings and talents, to nurture those talents and giftings, you know, to make sure that they're being discipled um, before we shoot them out into the world. So it's strategic on our end, the way that we, we, we're we trying to do it. And I think that's the way that the Bible prescribes. And I'm not saying everybody needs to homeschool and they should, you know, but I will say this, looking at the culture as a Christian, you're going to have to seriously, that has to be an option. I, I More and more as we get further and further along, I don't see many options for Christians Beyond homeschooling, I'm sorry to say. Um, I mean, there's Christian schools, but even that, I, I, I won't go there. But the, the thing is, every every family has to know what God's calling them to do. And we see homeschooling as a um, chance for us to really life on life, disciple our children and to, to kind of um, culture proof them until they are ready uh, to stand on their own, too, as we shoot them out into the world. I think when I think about the hope and future of our country and of the church, uh, I don't see hope and I don't see a future if parents don't disciple their own children. I don't think we're going to make it. And what that looks like, I don't know. But I think the thought that a lot of parents have is that the church is going to disciple their children for them. 
That's not going to cut it, man. That will not no. get the job done. And I'm thankful for the church. I mean, don't get me wrong. The church is great. You know, we need the church. The church shouldn't have to. The church yeah. shouldn't have to do that. The church is a supplement to what's happening at home. Amen. Amen. You and know? so we're grateful for, you know, what the church does to come alongside a family, our family, exactly. your family, to help us to do our job in discipling our children. But it's nobody else's job to disciple your kids. It's not the assistant pastor. It's not the youth pastor. It's not the senior pastor. It's not right. some children's ministry, Sunday school worker. It's not a Christian school's job to disciple your children. Now, not to say that other people can't be helpful in the right. process. Um, right. And parents especially. I have a, I think grandparents were the most underrated in, <laughs> yeah. in America. <laughs> Uh, but but ultimately, it comes down to moms and dads, and I think I, I dial it in, and I know you're going to agree with me. I dial it in a little uh, closer and say, you know, if we look at Ephesians six four and Malachi four six, it says fathers, and so we're grateful for yep. moms. But you know, moms do it. Moms just do it. That's that's how they're wired. That's how God has programmed them. They they yeah. nurture. They invest. Guys kind of have to be taught, and. Mm. Um, so when I think about the future of the church and the future of our country, I think, man, it's really going to have to turn. And the verse we have in uh, on our, our logo for family renewal is Luke one seventeen, which is parallel to Malachi 4, 6, but talking about fathers turning their hearts to the children and children turning their hearts to the father, the fathers uh, with the ultimate purpose of, of making ready a people prepared for the Lord. Mm. And, um, I believe that we're seeing a lot of people, a lot of a lot of families, and a lot of fathers whose hearts are turning to their children. I think yeah. that that we see that happen. You know, men turn their hearts to Christ, families turn their hearts to Christ, husbands turn their hearts to their wives, wives turn their hearts to their to their husbands, fathers and mothers turn their hearts to their children, children turn their hearts to their parents. And I got a ton of hope. I think we can see revival. I think we can see a, a change. I just yeah. don't know of any system that works outside of that. And so, you know, we, we need political change. We need so, social change. We, we, need, uh, we need macro change in a lot of ways. But for this to be sustained long term, it's about the human heart. It's about the yeah. gospel. Yeah. And so we have to bring the gospel uh, back to our own hearts uh, to our own homes, our own kitchen tables, our own living rooms. And you got to train the next generation to do better. Yeah, I agree. You've inherited a broken world and it's been that way since, since Adam messed it up. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. you know, uh, I, I feel that, uh, you know, you and I have so much in common in, in so many ways. I mean, um, you know, even, even our, you know, I'm, I'm not a skinhead. I should probably say that just publicly. <laughs> here. Uh, I, I'm like this cause I don't have hair. That's basically, uh, I know when I go to the South, sometimes, uh, if I'm in a black community, people look at me like, see skinhead. Uh, but you know, the sad thing about being a white guy and not having hair is if you're, if you're a chocolate brother, you look great. If you shave your head, if you're a white dude, you look like a cancer patient. Oh, I'm, like, I, I'm no, not. I'm not joking you. I was at a conference last year, and I yeah. had an old white lady come up to me, and she she put something in my hand, and she said, "I just want to tell you, my husband struggled for months with that before he died, and I just want to tell you yeah. that I'm praying for you. I just want to give you a little something." And she walked off. It was a twenty dollar bill. Wow. <laughs> 
Cancer. I thought it was she was gone. I was like, oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, but but I feel like um, you know I feel like you and I have a lot in common and and I appreciate your heart so much. Um, one question I want to ask you is. Uh, do you and Miki travel to speak at conferences? Because that's what I do for a living predominantly is I travel and speak at parenting conferences, homeschooling conferences. Um, do you guys do that? Are you available? Like if there are homeschooling conferences that want to have you guys come speak or churches that want to have you come speak, how can they plug into that? How can they get in, cut in touch with you and know what you do yeah. you have to offer? And Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, and I would say this, Miki is the speaker. Like, I she's mean, great. I give yeah, her that. I think it's too. I really do. I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, she is, she's she's a hard act to follow. I got to say that. Yeah, she's been built for. She's a communicator. If y'all haven't heard her, you know, you know, tune into our show if you get a chance. Erin the Addisons. It airs live uh, 2 p.m. Central, AFR.net, but you can catch the podcast. But yeah, um, we do. We we will speak at um, conferences or whatever. Um, you, you can contact us by sending an email to uh, Addison's, A-D-D-I-S-O-N-S, at AFR.net. And, um, you know, let us know, you know, uh, if you would like for us to come out and we can have a discussion about it or whatever. Um, you can find us easily on Facebook. You know, we have an Aaron the Addison's Facebook page. Uh, we're pretty easy to contact. And, yeah, we, we do. Uh, speak as the Lord allows us to do it. And we bring our whole family everywhere we go. <laughs> so um, the kids are exposed to a lot. I'm like, y'all have privilege. I didn't go all these places. When I <laughs> 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 but, um, but yeah, we, 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 do, we do speak and we, we are really, our heart is for the body of Christ mm -hmm. and to really help equip the saints for work of ministry. And, uh, and that's, that's what we're all about. So um, if you listen to our program, if you see us, on Facebook or whatever, you know, our heart is for the, the body of Christ and not to be deceived, you know, by what's going on. Because like you mentioned, these things are going to happen again. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't be jolted every time this happens. We should have mm -hmm. a biblical worldview and mindset um, of, of how to deal with these issues and not be, as the church, um, thrown off guard. Now, we should have compassion and empathy and all of that. Yeah. But it never should be to where we don't know how to answer these questions because we we have the word of God. So yeah, praise yeah. God. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, send our, our greetings to your lovely wife, Miki, uh, to your, your children and Lord willing, we will, uh, I would love to just be able to hang out with you guys on the conference circuit sometime when we all get out of lockdown, we get back to, yeah. I don't, I would say life is normal, whatever that was or whatever that'll be. But, uh, we'd love to be able to connect with you guys and, and your conference, uh, there in Tupelo, people follow you on social media. They can find out about yeah. that because, uh, uh, you guys yeah. have great material on marriage and, and on family and, um, yeah. biblical authority. And, you know, you're really hitting yeah. all the cylinders that I'm interested in. And, uh, so I'm a huge fan. I love what you do and I'm really super grateful for you, uh, being willing to come and, you know, just to, to talk about some stuff that kind of the elephant in the room, you know, the thing that yeah. people want to, you know, dance around and don't want to really unpack and deal with. And right. I'm just grateful we've been able to have a delightful conversation on that. Awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, man. All right. Bless you. All right. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation. For more information on Family Renewal, the writing and speaking ministry of Brooke and Israel Wayne, please visit familyrenewal.org.